1 Samuel chapter 24. That's our passage today, 1 Samuel chapter 24. Our key concept this morning is this, show shocking mercy and God will be honored. Show shocking mercy. 1 Samuel chapter 24, we'll bring up the house lights so that you can actually see your Bibles there. House lights are coming up sometime, anytime soon. That would be great. Thank you very much. Show shocking mercy. While the house lights are coming up and while you're finding 1 Samuel chapter 24, today we're talking about pushing back against taking revenge. See, when you have to clap for the lights, that's bad. That's just not right. But in any event, one of, one of the subtlest temptations that we face is the temptation to get even. And the reason is because somehow in the human heart, we feel like revenge is righteous because obviously the individual that we're trying to get even with deserves this, right? So, it, so it's, a, it's a subtle temptation. But we, what I want you to learn this morning is that getting even never really gets us even. Because really, all we do is we continue a cycle of vengeance, a cycle of revenge. And in our scripture today, we're going to see how God calls us to step away from the cycle of vengeance and show mercy and grace. But it's, it goes against the grain of our human fallen nature. We think that revenge is deserved. I remember an article, it was way back in 2002, but it appeared in the LA Times. Robert Burns was the author, and at the time he was writing about the various websites that enable people to take revenge on others. Here's how he starts his article. Forgiveness may be divine, but payback is definitely more popular. And serving it up digitally is fast catching on. And he goes on to write about some of the websites active at the time, uh, payback.com. You can order things from payback.com, like melted chocolates to be sent to somebody, or, or dead smelly fish to arrive on their doorstep. There's another website called Revenge Unlimited. It offers things like gum that turns your mouth blue when you chew it. They have a mission statement, Revenge Unlimited. It says this, Revenge Unlimited believes that there are some people in desperate need of a good dose of humility, and we exist to help make sure that they get it. Don't go to that website. It may be one of life's subtle temptations, but when we show shocking mercy, it tells us that we are seeking to honor God and others see a difference in us. Now, we're going to re-enter David's life here in 1 Samuel chapter 24. He is now on the run, on the run from King Saul, hiding out in the deserts and in the caves because Saul has become insanely jealous. Back in chapter 18, we heard the opinion of the people, 18 verse 7, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And that is a little ditty that was popular among the people. And every time Saul heard it, it was like a festering sore of resentment in his soul. That got to Saul. And a black cloud of bitterness descended over him. And in our passage today, David is a fugitive. He's on run for his life. However, what's beginning to happen little by little, as if David is some sort of Jewish Robin Hood, he's attracting people to him 
where he's hiding in the desert. People band together. People pledge to follow him. They, they stick with him. These will eventually be called David's mighty men. But listen to how they are initially described in chapter 22, verse 2. It says, all those who are in distress, in debt, or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. Basically, these are the down and outs of the society. They come and gather around David. By chapter 23, verse 13, that number grows to 600 people. And that brings us to our passage that we'll read today, chapter 24. You follow along as I start reading verse 1. It says this, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his, monk, his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. But David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Here is a test of character. What do you do when your enemy is vulnerable and revenge is being spoken of around you? Saul goes into this cave to go to the bathroom. I mean, this is a position of true vulnerability. And it occurs to me that if David had indeed snuck up on Saul and killed him there in that cave, preachers today would be preaching sermons about how if you treat people badly, it's, it's going to come back to hurt you, citing Saul as an example. But God knows that there's more important lessons here, a more important lesson for all of us to see what David models here, learning to fight off that temptation to take revenge. David resists the temptation to kill Saul in his moment of vulnerability. In fact, this is one of two situations where this occurs. A very, a very similar situation occurs in chapter 26. And at first, when Saul enters that cave and the men and David are way back inside, hidden in the shadows, David gets advice that on the surface sounds somewhat spiritual. The men whisper in the cave, this is the moment that God has told you about. This is the moment God has delivered him into your hands. When they saw that, saw that Saul realized uh, that he was, when, when Saul realized that he is in the cave and he doesn't realize that, that he's vulnerable and the men are there, the men are encouraging David, take revenge. Why? Because it's so obvious that this is falling into our lap. It must be God's timing. It must be God's will. The problem was, that wasn't godly advice. They're conjuring up their own interpretation of what they thought should happen. They're putting their own preconceived ideas of what ought to be happening and using some spiritual terms to justify but it was wrong. Murder is wrong. Using spiritual sounding words doesn't change that fact. There's always been people who put spiritual sounding words around their own will and pretend that it's God's will. It's still going on today. 
Just because someone says religious words or religious language, just because someone says, God told me to tell you this, it doesn't guarantee that what follows is accurate. We need to scrap all sentences that start with, God told me, and start the sentences with, the Bible says. Because it's an important principle to remember, God does not open doors uh, that go against His revealed will. He does not ask you to do things that are wrong, and murder is wrong. This is not God's timing. This is not God's will. Don't make the mistake of rationalizing behavior simply because it looks like excellent timing. Satan is pretty good at timing too. In fact, this is what the Bible says. Leviticus 19.18, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says, Deuteronomy 32, 35, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. God says, resist this impulse. Don't take revenge. Don't hold a grudge. Don't seek to get even because he is the ultimate, all-knowing, perfect judge. And so here in David's resisting that call, we see behaviors that we should emulate. And the first is, refuse revenge. David did that almost, almost. And here's the almost part. Go down to verse 5. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. And then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. And it's interesting to note when David gets back to his men carrying that corner of the robe of Saul, he is conscience-stricken about having cut that piece of robe off. Because even though he didn't kill Saul, what he did is show contempt in that action. Philip Keller, in his book on David, has a chapter that he calls The Ruined Robe. And in it he says this, Even though he resisted the temptation to sever Saul's head, he still could not resist this small taste of revenge. For to cut off a piece from the royal robe was an act of utter contempt for the one who wore it. Though he had not murdered the tyrant in cold blood, he had in fact shown that he had murdered him in his heart. And when David got back to his men, the men all high-fiving each other about the, the humiliation that David just inflicted on Saul, they began to kind of quietly celebrate back in the cave. They really wanted to, to do more harm to Saul. In fact, if David wasn't going to do it, it seems like the men were going to do it in his place. But David held them back. But even as they are kind of rejoicing in that sense of revenge, David grows sad. And he whispers, Wait a minute, I was wrong to show such disrespect to the Lord's anointed. 
to the Lord's leader. And David comes out of that cave and speaks the truth to Saul. He says, Saul, you've been misinformed. I'm not out to kill you. I'm not chasing after you. I'm not your enemy. And I repent of showing this disrespect. He he demonstrates that he's sorry and he shows a readiness to put the hatred aside. He he shows a readiness to to blame Saul's actions on wrong information. You've been hearing wrong information. Let's restart this relationship once again. It is an openness to forgiveness and an openness to grace. David holds out that hand of willingness Rick Warren once said, if you don't release those who hurt you, you will begin to resemble them. And there's somebody here probably who needs to hear that. If you don't release those who hurt you, you'll begin to resemble them. David's saying, I don't want to turn into Saul. It's got to stop. It's got to be over here and now, ready to be the forgiver and release Saul. We too should be ready to release those who hurt us. Secondly, we need to understand, as David shows us that model, he's doing this in an unfair environment. And we need to recognize the world is not fair. Saul is not being fair to David. But you know, the same nature that beats in the heart of Saul beats in the heart of every person. People will mistreat us. People will hurt us. People will cause us pain. There will be times when we get angry and they will, we will have negative emotions within us. Sometimes we'll imagine things that we think, I can't imagine where, why I'm thinking about that. It's, it's, I can visualize taking revenge in, in a way that I, I just can't imagine how, where that's coming from in my brain. David no doubt wrestled with that as well. We know his men wrestled with that. They would have taken Saul's life if they could. It would have been easy to take the initiative and not wait for God to take up his own cause and do that vengeful act. But listen to the Word of God, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone in an unfair world where things will go wrong and we will be disappointed. Live at peace. Expect conflict. But Paul says, work to see that you're not the one responsible for the conflict. Don't deliberately be controversial. Don't deliberately antagonize people. If you have to, bite your lip or swallow your pride or walk away from the struggle or the fight. Be willing to be humble to keep peace. Even if it's not fair. It wasn't fair that David was being chased around in the desert. Thirdly, anticipate feelings of revenge in your own heart. Because we're all human. And we need to step away from that cycle. The feelings of revenge will come. But handling mistreatment in a godly way, that doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. It needs to be a decision that we make prior to the the, the event that that, uh, allows us the possibility of revenge. It needs to be a surrender to the Holy Spirit to say, I'm just going to give this away. That's why Jesus in his instruction said, do to others as you would have them do to you, not do to others as they do to you. It's revolutionary, but it's wise. It's wise. Because imagine with me if this had gone differently. Imagine what would have happened if David had followed the advice of his men. You know what? You're right. God has delivered him into my hand. You're right. 
This is the moment, the decisive moment when I can kill my enemy and get rid of him. David already knows he's heading towards the throne. He's going to be the next king. Maybe this is the transition. Imagine what would have happened if David thought those thoughts and Saul died in the cave that day in such an undignified moment. Imagine what the followers of Saul would have done in reaction. The battle would have been intensified. But this time, David would have lost the moral superiority. David would be known as the murderer of the king. Well, wanted posters around all of Israel, you can imagine. Public opinion turning against him instead of for him. See, once we get back at someone, then they or their friends feel the need to get back at us. And the cycle is ongoing. God is saying to us, don't feed the monster. Step out of the cycle. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Our instinct says curse, but God says bless. When we follow the directions of, of the word rather than our own our human hearts, we please God. And notice with me, there is no promise in these verses that says, and everything will work out just fine, and the person will see the error of their ways, and soon they will come and apologize. There's nothing like that in there. You see, resisting revenge is not about manipul man manipulating an apology. Resisting revenge is about pleasing God. That's it. That's the motive. That's the reason. I'm going to step out of the cycle so that I can please God. And that's the issue. And I want to show him that I trust him and that I want to please him in the way that I live. And this is the way Jesus lived. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, the secret of handling this mistreatment is keeping our eye on the goal. And the goal is not that this will all work out, but the goal is I'm going to please God here. I'm going to make God happy here and do what God wants me to do. That's not easy. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. Robert Eason was eight years old when his dad was murdered. And what made it worse is that the murderer was his uncle Bob, the brother of his dad. There was a trial. And unbelievably, uncle Bob was sentenced to only three years in prison for that murder. Three years. And then, on some sort of legal technicality, he never served a day in jail, never went to jail, and was never made to uh, pay any restitution to support the family. The legal system completely um, uh, let down Robert Eason and his family. So there was bitterness, there was anger, there was like a black cloud as he was growing up. He felt this uh, uh, towards his Uncle Bob. Well, Robert's mother eventually remarried. She remarried a fine man named George. They lived on a farm and unbelievably again, their farm adjoined the farm that Uncle Bob owned and was living in. But these were big properties and so they lived their lives in such a way that they never, they never really saw each other, they avoided each other. But one day, 
Robert and his stepfather, George, gathered up their tools, their axes, their saws, pieces of wood, and they went out to fix the fence that surrounded their property. And they had to, uh, at one point, come to the edge of the land that ran next to Uncle Bob's land. And while they were working there to fix the fence and to make it strong, all of a sudden, Uncle Bob comes storming up to them, accusing George of placing the fence on his property rather than on the appropriate uh, fence line. And they got into an argument, and Robert by now is 13 years old, and he was big for his age. He could face uh, Uncle Bob, and he was dealing with the, the most dis, uh, difficult decision of his life because in the midst of the argument, Uncle Bob leaned down and was showing them on the ground where he thought the proper uh, property line was. And Robert was standing there with an axe in his hand. And there is his father's murderer right before him, vulnerable. He didn't have the punishment that he deserved. And Bob thought for us, uh, Robert thought for himself, he's going to get it from me. And all the hatred welled up. And in silence, he lifted that axe as Bob was looking at the ground. And it was about to come down on Uncle Bob's head. But George, his stepdad, had watched his eyes. And he saw his movements. And just as Robert raised that axe, he grabbed his arm. There was no doubt that Robert was going to kill his uncle if he hadn't been stopped. And Uncle Bob, in that moment, realized what was going on. He got up, from his, uh, got up to his feet. He ran back into his house, uh, into his property. And Robert's stepdad took him aside. And he said, Robert, you have to let it go. He will be punished enough. The Lord will take care of it, but not if you take it out of his hands. That's the point. Don't take it out of God's hands. Trust God. And a weight was lifted from 13-year-old Robert that day. And he decided to let justice rest in the hands of God, the one who judges justly. Remember that saying. If we don't release those who hurt us, we will begin to resemble them. And Robert didn't want to turn into Uncle Bob. And so, are you resentful today? Is there somebody that you're angry with, harboring a, a bitterness towards another individual? Finally, listen to these words, again from the Apostle Paul. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It is within our power to show shocking mercy. And when we show Shocking mercy. We are honoring God and pleasing Him. Let's pray together. And as we just bow silently, I'm going to ask you to consider, is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Someone who has hurt you, has let you down, that you need to release so that you don't resemble them? Just allow the Spirit to form that picture in your mind. And if so, today decide to give it away. Lord, we give away revenge. We give away hatred. We give away antagonism. We give away the pride that says somehow I can get even. 
And by your Spirit, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would enable us to seek to please you above all else and not to get into the cycle of hurt and pain that so often happens. Sometimes it happens in friendship relationships. Sometimes it happens even in families. But Lord, we want to step off that cycle. And we entrust all of that into your hands. Help us, Lord, to be the peacemakers, the forgivers. Help us to be the one to say, to first to say, I forgive you. Lord, we pray that we're not the ones who seek to manipulate some sort of apology, but rather, I'm doing this to please God. And as we do, Lord, demonstrate your pleasure in our lives. Help us, we pray. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.